0: Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Matthew chapter 14, and let me read you a a passage that I think you know well, or at least the story you know well, about Peter walking on some water. You follow as I read. Beginning at verse 22. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Come. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, one of the uh, Inevitable, unavoidable parts of this whole process of being made into the likeness of Christ, to growing in grace, uh, spiritual maturation, whatever you want to call it. One of the inevitable parts of that is a, is a period or, a, or an event or a series of events that you would classify and label painful. Troubling. Trial difficulty whatever in fact if you were writing your your um, your own autobiography you would label this chapter hard times and and the bible is never coy with you concerning that subject it never tries to pull the wool over your eyes it never tries to lessen the uh, the uh, the, uh, the reality of such a thing uh, the Bible states that this kind of stuff is a fact. It's a fact of a Christian's experience, and um, and if that comes as a surprise to you, if if your difficulty comes as a surprise to you, it's not the Bible's fault. Uh, in fact, there's a there's a statement by Peter, interestingly enough, in one his first epistle, in chapter four, verse twelve, he says. Don't be surprised as as if this fiery trial was something strange that has happened to you. It's not strange. If it comes as a surprise to you, ladies and gentlemen, it is not the Bible's fault. It is yours. And may I say to you, I think one of the kindest things that I can tell you one of the um, one of the most pastoral things that i can say to you is that this kind of stuff is a fact of life i think it's cruel to tell you otherwise now guys you may you may have already been convinced of of the fact of of difficulty of trial of uh, that's included in the christian's experience you may have already been convinced of that fact, but there are several parts of this that might surprise you. And that's what I want to show you, the the, the things that might be considered somewhat surprising to you. Let's go over some of those. I've got four of them that I want to point out as a result of this story, so stay with me. First of all, guys, you'll notice that this is a story about some followers of Jesus Christ who are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do That's how it opens in verse 22. They are are responding to a command. They are right where he wanted them to be, doing exactly what he told them to do. And in the midst of doing exactly what he told them to do, they are being beaten by a storm. Now, guys, there are several stories like that in the Scriptures. Um... We, we, we don't have time to enumerate them, but they're, trust me, they're just all kinds of stories that, that say that basically the same thing as that. But the, the, the Western church, the American church in particular, has a real problem with that on a couple of fronts. Let me mention a, just a couple of problems that the American church has with this kind of event, this kind of scene. Number one. These guys are doing exactly what they were told to do. They are, they are being obedient to, to what Jesus told them to, to do. And I thought that if you, if you were obedient, then you avoided this kind of stuff. If you, if you do everything that God tells you to do, Don't you miss out on this? Guys, Jesus Christ did everything his father told him to do and it led him to a cross. Obedience is not some kind of guarantee that that you're going to avoid pain. In fact, if your only motive for obeying is in the hopes that you might avoid pain, then sooner or later, you're going to be disillusioned. And somebody's going to have to pick up your spiritual pieces. Another front that 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 the American church doesn't like stories like this. Uh, they, they, they got problems with, with a story like this. It, 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 it comes in this form. I thought if God loved me, he would ne- let, never let something bad happen to me. Guys, that position is fraught with problems. It it is. It comes straight from uh, that health and wealth gospel stuff that comes right out of Houston, Texas. Now, you don't like for me to mention names. And so I won't. But I want you to know that the apostle Paul does mention names. Check it out. Hymenaeus, Alexander, Demas. He names names. He tells God's people, there are people out there that will harm you. And here are their names. And I'm not so sure that I shouldn't mention names. But I won't. But I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, that message is harmful in a lot of ways. One... Ultimately, that message undercuts evangelism. Well, how so, Jimmy? Well, because the non-Christian world realizes that life is tough, that life is hard. And they know that that phony baloney... I really wanted to call it something worse than that, but my wife wouldn't let me. Um, They know that that stuff is, is foolishness. And so our whole credibility is just undercut when we go out and say stupidity like that. To think that it has the following that it has in this country is just mind-boggling to me. I wonder, have you ever read this book? Because, ladies and gentlemen, this book is never shy about telling you that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will indeed suffer. But not only that, ladies and gentlemen, it's also a very cruel message. It's cruel. It's cruel because it says, ultimately, if you have enough faith, God will come through for you. So ultimately, when he doesn't come through, it's all your fault. Because you you didn't have enough faith. That's quite a convenient explanation if you're a preacher. It's your fault. You know, I read a story, and, and I had, it was recently. It was in the last three weeks, but I tried to find the story, and I couldn't find I read for a living, folks, and I just forget where I've read things. But I read this story about one of these so-called preacher-healer types who announced that he was going to have a crusade in Cambodia. I, it was either Cambodia or Thailand. One of those two. Um, it, it was Southeast Asia. He was going to have a crusade in, in, in Cambodia. And in his pre-Crusade promotional materials, he described all of the wonderful things that were going to happen at this crusade, all the healings and the miracles and all the business that was going to happen at this crusade. And it, and it swept the, the land, and, and people got all excited, and, and poor villagers came from far away, and some sold their cows so that they could make the trip to this crusade. And when they got there... None of that stuff happened. And when it didn't happen, a riot ensued. So serious was the riot that the military had to intervene, extract this preacher guy out of there, and get him out of the country via helicopter. Guys, storms are a part of the process of making us into the image of Jesus Christ. Storms happen to obedient Christians. They happen to loved Christians. And the question is not why. The question is, for us, is how are we to respond? Speaking of response, which brings me to my second part of this that might be surprising to you. Guys, when you're, when you're in, at the end of your rope, when you're in some kind of extremity, you really don't act. You react. You know what I mean by that? Um, what happens when I find myself at the end of my, my tether is that what is already in my heart comes out. You know, the stuff that's, that's already there, it, it, it finds a way to, to come to the surface. It's like, it's like squeezing a toothpaste tube, and when you do, the stuff that's on the inside comes out. And guys, in, in the midst of difficulty, when my heart gets squeezed, the stuff that is in there, Comes out, um, you know that, that stuff that I have dreamed about and I've spent my time uh, devoted to and, and investing in, and 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 uh, that's the stuff that comes out when the heat gets turned up. You know, I told y'all that um, that you know you know Mondays is my day off, and 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 I've got this little subscription to uh, um, Netflix and um. So Monday afternoons, a lot of times I'll be I'll watch a movie that I've gotten from Netflix, and and um, I don't know, a month ago or so I watched one. It was a 2006 movie. It wasn't an old movie. Um, It uh, it starred Kevin Costner and um, Ashton Kutcher. You know, they were. It was a pretty pretty good movie. It was called The Guardian. It was about the Coast Guard, and um, the movie opens up in, in this storm scene. You know. And, and it's out in this raging ocean looking thing and you know, and I'm sure it's in the Atlantic off the coast of Nantucket. I, 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 don't know, but it's this storm and there's this overturned luxury yacht and there's two people out in the, out in the, um, the water and they, you know, they've got their life jackets on and they're trying to survive and here comes the Coast Guard helicopter. Yay! And the Coast Guard, coast Guard helicopter gets over the top of them and, and it lowers this basket, you know, to extract them out of the water. And, and I guess, you know, as, as I don't know what Coast Guard policy is, but I guess you go for the woman first. And so they lower the basket, and the woman gets in the basket, and her husband in the movie comes over to the basket, pulls her out of the basket, gets in himself so that he can save himself. Unfortunately for this dear fellow, his wife survives as well. And, and uh, you know, after they get him, they get her out, and, they, and they, the next scene is they're back at the base on dry land, and they are they are fighting like cat, and he's trying to explain his actions to her. You know, if you're, if you're a counselor... How do you put that marriage back together again? When a wife just saw her husband willing to let her die. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when the heat gets turned up, the stuff that's already in there comes flooding out. You don't act, you react. You know, um, I, I could stand here and tell you stories like this for hours. Because I know my own experience. You know, you you're driving down the highway and somebody's texting, and they do something that almost costs you your life, and you are—I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm at that point. Homicidal. I am. Um, I remember, I don't know, a year ago maybe, a little over. This I got on a phone call with an insurance company and um, they had it was their stupid mistake they were you know and you're talking to somebody in Bangladesh and and they're going by the rules of the policy and they won't listen and I'm telling you ladies and gentlemen you wouldn't have been proud. And I, I finally had to get back on the phone and try to find the lady in Bangladesh that I had been so ugly to. All I'm, all I'm telling you is, in the, it, it, in the midst, when, when, when the heat gets turned up, you're not acting. You're reacting. What, what's, what's, what's already in there just comes out. It always does. Storms have a way of of pointing out stuff that was there all the time, but as long as life is placid and there's the, 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 there's no howling winds, nobody, including me, even sees what's in there. But sooner or later, a storm comes. In my life, in my marriage, in my work, in my health, in my my finances, and a light gets shined on some hidden places in my heart, and what's in there comes gushing out. In my um, my character is exposed, my heart is revealed when, um, when life just doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. You, you know, guys, that's part of the purpose of the thing, is to show you what's still in there. Here's the third thing that might come as a surprise to you folks, really um, drawing from the story. All faith is flawed faith. All of it. Yours, mine, Peter's. All faith is flawed faith. And there's good and bad in in all of us. Let me show you first, Peter. Let me just show you the good on display here via Peter. First of all, guys, say what you will about Peter's failure. Don't miss the fact that there were 11 other men in that boat who had no interest in getting out of that boat or walking on any water. Fail he did. But in his enthusiasm to be, to be with Jesus, notice what he asks. He does not ask, hey Jesus, can I walk on water? That might be fun. He asks, Jesus, can I come to you? For Peter, life was about more than sitting in a boat and riding out a storm. It, it was made, life was made for more than just avoiding pain, avoiding failure. I was made to be with him and he's out there, so I got to go out there. Guys, you make no mistake about this. There is a cost of staying in that boat and as you're sitting in your recliner and trying to avoid all risks, your soul atrophies because you miss out on being, on being where He is. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you haven't taken a risk for Jesus Christ in your entire Christian experience, and your soul is atrophying. You're going to pay a cost for standing in that boat. I want to read you a quote. I love this quote. I found it years ago. It's from Teddy Roosevelt. I guess I love it so much because I failed so much. But he says this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Who at best knows in the end the triumph of great achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. Like those other twelve guys in the boat. Ladies and gentlemen, as for me and my house... I don't want to be with the cold, timid souls. John John Piper tells a story about a seventy-year-old man, or he had retired. He was over; seems like it was early seventies, and his wife had died, and um, he was retired, as I said, and and, um, he decided that that God had called him to go preach the gospel to Muslims. And so uh, people said, don't go over there and preach the gospel to Muslims. I mean, they'll kill you. And so um, he went to over there to preach the gospel to Muslims. And guess what happened to him? They killed him. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, would you rather die like that or in a nursing home? Me too. Guys, what what kind of person wants to walk on water in the middle of a dark, windy storm? I'll tell you what kind they do. It's the one who knows that the only safe place to be is to be with him. My friend, if you're a Christian this morning, you've got some of this in you. I mean, you know that there is a storm much worse than this one. You know that there are waters more dark and more troubled than the, than the ways of the Sea of Galilee. And you know that the only safe place for you to be is with Him. You know that the one who's out there is the one who alone can quiet a boisterous, tumultuous storm of God's fury over your sin. He's the one that made liquids into solids. You know that it's the nature of your sin to engulf you and to sink you. But this one, this Jesus, has ventured out into the midst of that storm, which my sin raised against me, and faith binds me to him. There's no storm that swallows me as long as I'm with him. Jesus does not sink in a sea of wrath like I would apart from him. But he triumphs over it. And I'm safe with him. Getting there might be a little difficult. But the safest place there is is to be next to him. Is that where you are? If you're a Christian, you are. That's the good. Uh, Take a look at the bad. There's bad in there, too. Because... All faith is flawed faith. You notice in verse 30, we're told that he, he looks away from Jesus. He, he looks at the winds and as a result, he's in trouble. He thought, Oh my goodness, this wind is going to sink me. And the moment that he considers that to be a possibility, his confidence in Jesus wavers and Down he goes. Really, I mean, could could wind be more powerful than he is? Notice in this story, guys, when Peter asked if he could come, Jesus doesn't say, "Now let's wait just a few minutes until the until the wind dies down." Peter asks, and Jesus says, "Come on." Guys, it's it's unbelief that undercuts Peter's situation, not the wind. You got to remember that. It's not what you're experiencing that's your problem. It's our unbelief that's the problem. Guys, um, Peter in this story fears the less when he's conquered the greater. What, what I mean by that is this. If water can't sink him, then then wind sure can't. And if you're a Christian, you have some of this in you too. Um, Guys... Peter has already walked on, a f- taken a few steps on water, and that was fine. He's already made progress towards Jesus Christ, and then something arose that engendered and created unbelief, and he sunk. Guys, the the trial that you're in, the pain that you're enduring, that's not your problem. It's unbelief that's our problem. The wind is not going to overcome me, and neither is what you're facing. But what will sink you is uh, is unbelief. And I can pretty much assure you that some of that's in you too. Both of them, the good and the bad. It's in. It's going to show up in all of our responses. I, um, I don't think Carmen reminds me even to saying this, but um, her 44-year-old sister just died of liver cancer on the 17th of the month, I think. This was a fine woman, fine woman who had, who had, for years, glorified God in all that she faced, and she came to the last few days of her life. And it was scary. There was great good, but there was some bad, just like all of us. None of us, ladies and gentlemen, have an unflawed faith. It's all flawed. None of it's perfect. Some of it's going to look good in your response to your trial, and some of it ain't going to look too good. we got to hurry. One last surprise, and I want to show you from this text, this story, the value of sinking Now, guys, don't hear me say that Jesus is responsible for Peter's doubt. He isn't. But he is behind it. Not the doubt, but the sinking. Peter needs to sink so that he can take the next step of faith in Christ. Walking on water, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't increase our faith. Only sinking does. You know, those of us who've suffered, we will never forget it, will we? Will we? Success doesn't drive you to Jesus. Sinking does. Notice Peter's cry. It's loud. It's it's needy. It's earnest. Produced by the sinking. He, he, he reaches for Christ in a way that he hasn't yet. Because he's sinking. Nothing makes me want him quite this much as does my sinking. Nothing else comforts me like being close to him, and I've got to get to him. Peter now knows that the the issue is his unbelief, and that's the start of his restoration. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a good thing to be made aware of my own unbelief and to be convinced of Of needing him more than I thought I did. You know, his focus while he's sinking is on Jesus in a way that it hasn't been before. Nothing would make him this focused except the sinking. And that's the point, ladies and gentlemen. The storm, the sinking... It focuses us on Jesus like nothing else can. Faith is not grown by trying harder. It's grown by getting closer to Jesus Christ. Let me say two more things and I quit. But guys, in a very real sense, in this troubled time that you're in right now, if you're in it, and if you're not, your turn's coming. In a very real sense, you are never more able to tell whether you are real or not real than when you're you're sinking. Who did you grab for? What did you focus on? Notice this, and I'm done. Look what Jesus does in response to Peter's earnest request. He rebukes, not the loss of faith, but the littleness of faith. And that littleness of faith is made obvious in the sinking. And then, ladies and gentlemen, take this home with you. Jesus doesn't throw him away. He doesn't throw him under the bus. He doesn't say, that's a fine, how do you do? You creep. He reaches out and grabs him. And by the way, it is not Peter's grasp of Jesus that saves him. It's Jesus' grasp of Peter that saves him. You know, folks, we sing a song in here, and it goes something like this. Oh, love that will not. Yeah, anybody who's trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone is the object of a love that will not let you go. Our Father, I I do pray that you will remind us of what is involved in this whole process of becoming like Christ, that you'll show us the flaws and the chinks in our armor, And that you will remind us of the the great provisions that you've made for us in the midst of, in the midst of our sinking. And will you drive us to yourself? Father, there are people who are listening to this 35 minutes worth of stuff and they're in a mess. Whatever their mess is in, whatever their mess is, oh God. Would you take some of these vain babblings of mine and draw them to the place where their comfort is more of Jesus Christ? I pray, of course, in his name.